if money didn't matter. Business is a tool for life. You don't get what you want in life. You only get what you're willing to suffer for. You're entering the age of entrepreneurs with Clark Varon. How world-class entrepreneurs succeed in business and life. Matt Wolf is the podcast co-host of the Hustle and Flowchart podcast, and he's the co-founder of Evergreen Profits. They've had some legends on their podcast so far, including Russell Brunson, Mike Dillard, and Mark Joyner. And as a copywriter, I was going wild seeing all the content that he had put out on his show. But what's really unique about Evergreen Profits is that they call themselves, I'm sorry, what's really unique about Hustle and Flowchart podcast is that they call themselves a life improvement podcast masquerading as a business podcast. So although they talk about marketing, traffic, wealth creation, all that good stuff, they also dive into mindsets, lifestyle, and the stuff that really makes life worth living. So welcome to the show, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. So when was when did you start your show? Like when did you get into podcasting in the first place? So I got into podcasting in 2010. The current show that we have now, we've actually been doing since 2017. So I had a, my first podcast in 2010 was actually with my current co-host, Joe Fear. Uh, back in 2010, we had a show called the Online Income Podcast, and it made it three episodes. So that was our first podcast. We got three episodes in, and then uh, it sort of fizzled off. And then a few months later, I started another podcast called the Business and Vlogs Podcast, and that one lasted quite a bit longer. Um, and then I've had a, a few podcasts in between with some different uh, co-hosts, but the one that's that we've been doing the longest, we're you know we're approaching 400 episodes now, is Hustle and Flowchart, and that one started in 2017. And you like started your entire entrepreneurial journey as like a content creator, right? Oh yeah, like, yeah. Even before podcasting. Yeah, so I I started the my sort of online career. In two between 2005 and 2007, I was working in another job, but in the evenings, I was kind of messing around with stuff. Uh, from 2005 to 2007, I was actually doing freelance web design work, um, sort of in the evenings outside of my normal working hours. And then in 2007, that's when I actually discovered WordPress. And when I discovered WordPress and the sort of concept of blogging, I started blogging super consistently on, I think we, were, we had a daily blog starting in about 2007 where we blogged daily for several years straight. And then um, what happened off of that blog was in 2009, I actually went and created a course called the WordPress Classroom, which then sort of taught people how to blog. And then I just kind of further went down the rabbit hole of the content marketing world from there. I always find it like so inspiring people who are able to just make content every day. Yeah, well, I'm not the best at that to this day. <laughs> Back when uh, when I was first starting, I, I, I had this sort of uh, belief that you had to create content every day to be successful with content marketing. That belief over time has shifted. It's kind of shifted more into a quality over quantity sort of philosophy. Uh, but back when I first started, I really had this quantity is important, blog every day, make sure you stay consistent or you're, you'll lose followers. But uh, that belief has slowly faded over the years. Do you have like a philosophy that you follow now for content creation? I'm sure you've had people on your show before who have just blown your mind with tips. What, what's, what's some not a little tidbit of wisdom you can tell us? About yeah, I content mean, creation? 
now it's all about the the, the systems to to keep things going. Um, so our podcast, we put out new content every Tuesday and Thursday on the podcast. We have a YouTube channel where we put out new content every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And we have a really good team where uh, Joe, my co-host, and I we go, we jump on the podcast, we record uh, a handful of interviews, and then. Um, so, so the way we do our podcast is through batch recording, right? So we record between three and four podcast episodes, uh, two to three days a month, depending on, you know, whether we do three or four on those individual days. So um, it's, it's all about the systems and the team now. So we have a system where we're only creating content between two and three days a month. And then we have a team of, of really just two people who make sure that that two or three days a month of content work gets sort of spread across an entire month and looks like we're putting out content almost every day. So those are like two or three days, you're just making content all day for those two, three days. We'll start at usually about 10 a.m. and end about 6 p.m. And we're just we're doing back-to-back podcast hour gaps in the middle. Uh, that's when we get some lunch in. We will sort of, Joe and I, we do it here in my office. So Joe and I, in, be, in those gaps, we'll, we'll get on listed notes and do some research on our guests. And we'll listen to clips from other podcasts. We'll look up our guests on YouTube. And we'll just, you know, I actually have my notes in front of me from our podcasting yesterday. We'll end up with like, multiple pages of notes for our guests so when we're sitting in front of them we never run out of areas to to go with the conversation because we've just got all sorts of notes of what they've talked about on other podcasts what you know we'll, we'll download the table of contents from their book if they have a book out um so yeah i mean it, it's just a full day of doing nothing but interviewing and then in the gaps of the interviewing doing research and that's a whole day for us between two and three days a month doing research like on the next guest mm-hmm Yep. Yep. So we'll do some preliminary research the night before. Sometimes our guests will send us their books, that kind of thing. Um, and so, uh, it, it, you know, if they send us a book, we're not we're not reading the book in the gap between episodes. We're kind of reading it leading up to the the episode. But yeah, we're we're sort of getting mentally prepped for the next interview. So it's we'll do an interview for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Then we'll have an hour gap. Then we'll do an interview for an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, then an hour gap. So it's just this sort of pattern for the whole day of just interview you know, prep for the next interview, interview, prep for the next interview. And then somewhere in there, we're scarfing down some lunch real quick. And that's, <laughs> uh, you know, that's three days, uh, three days a month for us typically. Hey, that's, pr- that's a pretty awesome way to do it. I've, have you heard of like Ping Jun? I think his name is. Uh, I've heard the name. Yeah. Um, yeah. So his thing is like, get all your videos done uh, in like 30 days. He has like a challenge or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically like his idea is like, you can shoot a whole bunch of content um over the course of like three days or four days you shoot uh like three months or four months worth of content so like mm-hmm. he, he does it like once a quarter shoot all this content and then he sends it off to his team and his team then repurposes all of that content for different platforms mm-hmm. and obviously like i think that there's probably not gonna be like perfect overlap because it's like like with youtube you want to have like very long content right but like um it, instagram stories like you don't want to have like super long format stuff so i i think that it's like useful i think it's useful to a degree but it's not like perfect yeah yeah I've yeah got i mean I, that, that's fairly close to the philosophy that that we have but um 
I mean, that, that's, that's essentially what happens, right? So we're recording a podcast. We do, we do a video over Zoom, just like we're doing in this interview here. Then afterwards, we have our editor who will go and edit that down, you know, cut out anything that needs to be edited out uh, at our intro and outro. And then that same person will take the video files um, because he just got done editing the audio. He sort of knows what we talked about and he's making notes of like where some of the, the sort of gold nuggets are from the episode. And so he'll take his, his sort of timestamps that he did while editing the audio, go over to the video now and then find those little clips at his his timestamps, right? So at 10 minutes in, we gave this tactic. At 37 minutes in, we gave this tactic. And he'll go and just clip out the little five to seven minute chunks where we're mapping out a tactic. And that becomes our clips that go on YouTube. That becomes stuff that we'll throw up on Facebook. And then mm -hmm. what he'll do is he'll go and compress it even more and try to compress that, you know, maybe seven to 10 minute tactic video into like a one and a half minute, like, sound bite that kind of yeah. gives you the idea for the tactic maybe even opens a loop in your mind of like you know here, here's a strategy that really really works for us you do this step this step and the third step is and then maybe it cuts off right it kind of teases and, and leaves an open loop and those little clips we'll actually use for facebook ads we'll use on uh instagram stories we'll use as uh instagram posts uh things like that and then as he's listening to these episodes he'll also uh, sort of, you know, pull out little little uh, quotes that he'll turn into quote images, and those also live on on places like Instagram. So your your philosophy is like shoot the long form content and then just take the bits from the long form content. So basically, yep. shoot the YouTube video slash podcast. And yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that your YouTube video is probably is it the is it this is it like these interviews. Uh, yeah, for the most part, um, every once in a while we'll, we'll throw some tutorials and things like that on there, but for the most part, it's clips from interviews just like this. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that, that's, that's really the philosophy. So we feel like the, the real value is, uh, th that we can provide for people is in the compression of knowledge, right? So we always start with this long form piece of content, which is the podcast. We've had episodes that have gone all the way up to two and a half hours long, Right. And the on the actual podcast, the RSS feed that people listen to, we just put it all out there. Here's the full two and a half hour episode. But the 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 thing that I think attracts people to us is our ability to compress a lot of information from a two and a half hour episode into three or four 10 minute clips. So the the I I really think there's a lot of value into compressing large amounts of knowledge into just the 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 mm -hmm. actionable stuff. Mm -hmm. And then the person who does like the editing afterwards, are they, are they virtual? Are they like in, in the U S are they in a different mm -hmm. country? What is it? Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's an employee of our company, but he lives out in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm in San Diego, California. So, yeah. I mean, we're pretty much opposite sides of the country. And so when you like finish recording a zoom call, you get that little email. Do you just like forward him the email with the link and he just takes it from there? Uh, I mean, uh, I have a few steps that I do before he gets it. So we we use a, a few different tools for recording. We've had some issues in the past with Zoom, and we've had issues with Dropbox, and we've had we've had issues with audio files getting lost, and that can be a big deal when you're batch recording. We've had days where we recorded four interviews in a day. I put them in Dropbox. Dropbox had a syncing issue, and those files just disappeared. And we had to go and like re-record four different interviews with people and spread them across different days and break all of our systems to make up for that. So now we have this, like, we, we just have these crazy amounts of redundancies. So we actually record on Zoom. I use a tool called Audio Hijack, 
which um, actually splits the audio track. So Joe is typically sitting in this room with me and we have two mics being fed into my computer. And what Audio Hijack will do is record the mic, you know, Joe's mic on one track, my mic on another track, and then the audio coming from Zoom on a third track. So we have the Zoom recording, we have the three tracks from Audio Hijack. Um, we've got the Zoom audio and the Zoom video. And I take all of those files and I put them into a Dropbox. And um, that's that's what our editor works with. And then each episode we do, I just, I kind of put a folder for it in Dropbox, right? So I'd have a folder called, you know, Clark. And then in that folder, I would put all of the audios, all of the videos, and then a text file that's like a readme file with any sort of like edits that we noticed on the show. Like as we're, as we're doing it, these are my notes from yesterday's because yesterday was one of those podcast days. I have little notes on here. At like you guys, Yossi. What's that? You had Dean oh, yeah. Yossi. Yeah, Dean was one of our interviews yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no um, way. <laughs> But I'll put little notes through on here of like, okay, edit at 15 minutes. The, there was an audio blip because of the internet. Uh, there's a little bit of an echo at 27 minutes in. So edit out the echo. So I'll make these little notes while we're in the middle of the interview. And then I'll send these notes in that readme file in Dropbox. So, you know, after a podcast day is over, I still have like 20 minutes more of work of moving everything into Dropbox form and making a little readme file for each one. But uh, that, that's the extent of the effort we put into the podcast beyond that. That's crazy. I feel like I just got a podcast one-on-one, how to, how to improve <laughs> my podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean. The, are we into this? Like we, we started the, the show like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, it's all about the systems. You, if you got some good systems going, you'll, you'll keep it going forever. I mean, the reason our first podcast lasted three episodes was we were so just kind of like, calling up friends going, Hey, you want to, you want to join us on an interview? Uh, yeah. What day? I don't know what day works for you. And then we were just kind of like plugging it into all of our calendars and figuring it out. And if they rescheduled, then our, our sort of weekly schedule would now be off track. And so the, the, it just, it doesn't work unless you have like some real good systems, any podcast that's gone, you know, beyond, let's say a hundred episodes has got to have some decent systems in place to make sure they keep up with the release schedule. Oh yeah, totally. And, um, that's, that is something that I figured out is I actually have someone in the Philippines who like finds all of the guests. Like I gave her strict guidelines on like, here's like the guests that I want to have on. Um, and then also gives me like all of the research, like notes ahead of time and then does all the editing and promotion. And so, um, I do a, I do a podcast weekly. I, I typically do it every Tuesday. We're doing Thursday cause I had to reschedule cause I just <laughs> launched a an online course last week. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, like my podcast takes me three hours a week now. It's like maximum of my time, three hours nice. a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's all about the systems. You got a good system, you'll keep the thing going. <laughs> exactly. Can I ask, uh, what did you and Dean Graziosi talk about? Let's see, what, what did we talk? So that one, we talked quite a bit about like what to be focused on in the pandemic right now. You know, it's kind of a, a, a timely episode. He's he's very big into to mindset and the mental game of business and uh, personal accountability and things like that. So it was a lot of, a lot of like tough love to all of the people who um, maybe in the pandemic are, are blaming the politicians or blaming the virus for losing money and not being able to work or, you know, so it was, it was sort of this tough love episode about, you know, being personally accountable for everything that happens in your life, regardless of politics and regardless of uh, pandemics and regardless of what family members are, are telling you you should or shouldn't do right now, all of that kind of stuff. 
Um, we also got into some tactical stuff around networking. You know, we asked him how did how did he get connected with Russell Brunson and Tony Robbins and put on these monster launches. The launch that him and Tony Robbins did um, a couple months back was like the largest launch in internet history or something like that. So um, I, I think it it might have broke a billion dollars. I don't know. I, I, I'm talking out of my butt now. I, I don't know how, how big it was, but it, he basically well, yeah. claimed it was the largest launch in internet history. <laughs> I, I mean, I believe that. I saw so much about that launch. Oh, it was it was insane. Like the amount of influencers that they had in on it like driving mm-hmm. traffic that network was huge yeah it was absolutely huge i um I, I wonder like what what are some what some tips that you drew from that like the internet the launch with dean graziosi that's a good question actually let me look at some of my notes uh, <laughs> um you know uh he gave us like quite a bit of resources to check out. One of one of the things we were talking about is, um, what was it worth to you to go and spend a day with him? So what, one of the, the, I think one of the big takeaways was when he was talking about like, we were talking about like imposter syndrome and like not want and, and people not wanting to put out content. So we, we did touch on the, on the topic of like uh, monetizing your knowledge through, through putting out content into the world. And then we, that kind of led into the imposter syndrome topic. And so one of the pieces of advice that he gave people was um, you know, if you can go back to your 22 year old self, what kind of things would you tell him or, you know, tell them. And so just working through that exercise on the episode kind of like sort of helps you overcome some of the, the, the issues with like imposter syndrome, right? Like if you look back at yourself at 22 and you look at yourself now, what sort of things have you achieved? Would your 22 yourself, your 22 year old self want to hear that stuff? If yes, put that stuff out into the world because there's some other 22 year old out in the world who needs to hear that stuff right now. Right. So that was sort of his, that was sort of his, uh, his sort of way of getting around the imposter syndrome of, of think of where you used to be. Do you wish you had that, the knowledge you have now, then we'll then share that knowledge with the world. Oh my gosh. I love that. Uh, I'm going to write that down because that's, I think that's something that every content creator should, should try to remember. Yeah. Oh, Um, absolutely. So do you feel like you still have imposter syndrome talking with all these like Dean Graziosi and, and Russell Brunson and Mike Dillard, all these big names on your podcast? Sometimes it, 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 it actually varies from guest to guest. You know, some, some guests like I'll, I'll jump on and I'll, I'll have like a little bit of nerves around it. I would say, you know, 99.9% of the time, as soon as the, the, the camera flips on and we're going on Zoom, it, it all kind of disappears. And I'm just kind of like in go mode. Um, more of the imposter syndrome will, for me, will pop up leading up to the interview, right? So like if, if tomorrow I knew we were interviewing, I don't know, let's say tomorrow we're interviewing like Elon Musk, I would probably be, you know, crapping myself a little bit about that (laughs) interview tomorrow. But then when we actually turned on zoom and the conversation started, like that would flip off and I'd be like, okay, I have no choice, but to just let's go now. And, and I, I don't know I, something in my brain has kind of gotten trained into me where like, once it's go time, the, the nerves just disappear. It's the same with public speaking, right? Like if, if I know I'm presenting in front of an audience tomorrow, I'll be nervous today. But the second I step on that stage, I'm in my zone. I'm just, let's go, let's do this. I'm pumped. But it's like the time leading up to it. Sometimes I do get some nerves. There's very few guests now where I feel like that would happen. 
you know, um, you know, maybe a, like an Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, like that sort of level of person, I'd probably be, you know, really sort of overanalyzing what the conversation is going to be like tomorrow. Um, but for the most part, anybody that's kind of like in the internet marketing world, the, you know, the Mike Dillards of the world and Russell Brunson's, all of those guys, you know, I've been doing this stuff for a long time. So I've actually connected with a lot of those people long before we ever interviewed them on the podcast. So by the time we got them on the podcast, there was already a little bit of acquaintance there. And there's very few guests that we bring on our shows these days where we're coming in cold. Like we've never had a conversation with this person before. It's, it's very mm -hmm. rare. Dean Graziosi was actually one of the rare exceptions where that was our first conversation we've ever had with him was on the show yesterday. Um, but most of the time, you know, Mike Dillard and, um, and Russell Brunson, like, uh, you know, I, I've been acquainted with Russell Brunson since 2008, 2009, before ClickFunnels ever existed, back when he was selling, um, you know, potato gun stuff and uh, selling how to do micro continuity courses and things like that. So, you know, Russell Brunson that we know today is not the Russell Brunson that I knew 10 years ago, he was, you know, he was a really, really smart marketer doing really cool stuff. And a lot of people were following him, but he wasn't like the hundred million dollar click funnels man then. And so mm -hmm. having that, that sort of like context of past history with some of our guests makes it a lot easier. I, I, you know, I think so. I don't know if that helps a lot of people listening to the podcast who may not have the ability to have past relationships with people, but you know, that, you know, just being transparent with the answer, that's kind of how I feel about it. You know, that's one thing that I, I was kind of wondering is like you had some legends on your your podcast. Like, how did you originally get connected with these people? How did you build that? Network? Oh, man. Uh, so my my co-host, Joe uh, Fear, he's he's really extroverted. I'm a lot more introverted, right? I'm much more of a tactical mind systems. I create spreadsheets. I, I, I don't mind getting into websites and tweaking code and messing with PHP and building Facebook ads, like I'm the, the tactical builder implementer kind of guy in the business. Jim, on the other hand, his whole marketing career, he, he, him and I started around the same time. He, we started blogging together in 2007 and 2009. We actually both quit our day jobs within a couple months of each other to kind of go in all in on our online businesses. And his whole internet career over the last 11, 12 years has been focused on networking where mine has been really focused on building systems and you know figuring out the tactical elements so when 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 joe and i sort of started partnering and, and working on projects together and you know back in 2007 that was really how we sort of divided the roles was he was going out and meeting people and networking and emailing and getting on phone calls and meeting people for coffee and i was sitting there heads down you know building stuff on on wordpress um and so that's really how the the division of roles has gone now we both kind of are in the networker role just because of the podcast. People sort of know both of us now, but um, really it's, it's, it's been a lot of, a lot of him who's made a lot of the connections and a lot of the connections just are a result of, of time, to be quite honest. They've just been, we've just been doing the stuff we're doing for, for so long. You know, some of the people that we were working with and creating content with back in 2007 to 2009 in that range, they were they weren't known names. They weren't anybody that anybody would, you know, think was special back then. But a lot of those people have sort of evolved into the, you know, the, the, the top mm -hmm. of the game marketers these days, and we're still connected and we're still friends with a lot of them. So 
it's um it's all just been kind of this result of maintaining relationships for a long period of time so that, that that's one answer but i do have a, a a second more tactical answer that i think would would probably give the audience a lot of value is we follow this uh this dream 100 uh process um it, it's actually from i believe chet holmes um from uh oh what's the name of his book i'm drawing a a blank on on chet holmes book um I want to say work the system. That's Sam Carpenter. Um, uh, Shall we put up really quick? Should I? Sure. Yeah. Chet Holm. It, it's a really, really popular book. So I'm going to, I'm going to feel like an idiot for not thinking of the name. Um, but he, he has this process called the, the dream 100. Um, the ultimate or, sales machine. There it is. The ultimate sales machine. So he's, he's got this dream 100 where you basically make a list of hundred, a hundred people that will have a big impact, a big influence on your business if you manage to get connected with them. So you make this list of a hundred names and then you put that list out into the world. You go to your network and you say, hey, do you know anybody on this list that maybe you can intro me to? And you'll start to get intros from just the most random people. So what, what Joe and I actually do is we'll put it in our email signature. So down in our automatic email signature that goes out from Gmail, it'll say, hey, do you know anybody in our Dream 100? If you do, we'd love an intro. When they click on that link, it actually opens up a Google Sheet with a list of all of the people that we want to be connected with. And so we've gotten intros from like our accountant, uh, from one of our project managers who is working um, in our business at one time. Like you never know who knows somebody on your list. So we had uh, Perry Marshall on the show. Perry Marshall was a connection to our, our, our VA's best friend, new Perry Marshall's brother or something like that. And so in one of our emails that got forwarded to her, she's like, oh, I know Perry Marshall. Um, I can make an intro for you. So we ended up getting to Perry Marshall through this sort of like roundabout loop of connections. Um, and then we also... This is sort of a, a a luck by proximity, but we're we're good buddies with Roland Fraser, who's one of the the co-owners of uh, Digital Marketer, and so because we're in San Diego and he's in San Diego, we got invited to a mastermind group to to um that that he's also in, and we got to become really good friends with him. We now uh, we actually have a, a a company with Roland. We're business partners with him now, but before we were business partners with him, we actually. Uh, we're meeting with him for for lunch in this mastermind group once per month. And at one of the masterminds, he asked, you know, what can I help you guys with right now? And we said, oh, we're just trying to get some more guests on our podcast. And he's like, oh, do you have a dream 100? And we're like, as a matter of fact, we do. And he said, send it to me and I'll see if I know anybody. So we sent him a link to our, our dream 100. And he, the very next day, connected us to 25 of the people on our dream 100. And that's how we got uh, James Altucher on the show. That was how we got, um, who else do? Oh, that's how we got connected with Jay Abraham. Jay Abraham's actually been on the show twice now and we partnered with Jay on a project too. So Jay had a project called uh, the Masters of Passive Income that we actually partnered with him on. Um, and a handful of other names all got connected uh, through this email that, uh, that we sent to Roland with our dream 100. And then Roland then went and connected us to 25% of our dream 100 and got us all these big name guests. So the dream 100 strategy is, is huge. And you don't have to know like a Roland Frazier, like I said, like our VA is 
friend knew Perry Marshall, like one of our accountants knew, you know, somebody else that was on our list. Um, but every once in a while you get that drink 100 list into somebody that has a lot of influence and you can get a big flood of connections. And to this day, I mean, we're getting connected with somebody on our dream 100 list on almost a daily basis. And, um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully that's a good answer for, <laughs> for how to get connected with people. I think this is so important to realize because, uh, so much of online marketing takes place offline. Yeah, absolutely. So much of it takes place offline. It's not just like Facebook ads and yeah. the dream 100 probably brings in more business than Facebook. Like, I don't know. I guess it depends like what, what business you're in, but, uh, I know a lot of people who are like, yeah, most of my, most of my traffic is organic. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm spending even the people who are spending, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year on Facebook ads. They still say most of their traffic is organic. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, we, I would say the same thing. We do spend quite a bit on, on advertising, but still to this day, most of our traffic is organic. So I, I mean, I've, I've definitely, uh, one of those people who would say that, but I also think one feeds the other. I think if you're doing a lot of advertising, it makes organic traffic a lot easier. So I think they're, they're very complementary to each other. Oh yeah. And vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. You do a Absolutely. lot of organic stuff. It, it, it helps boost your ads too. Yeah. Um, so you really think that people like open up that list in your email signature? You really stick it in the email signature there? We do. And and we definitely get, you know, people looking at it and replying. And here's the here's the trick. If you're using um, a, a Gmail email address and you are using Google Drive to make this this Dream 100. So it's a listed like the Google Sheets, right? When you put a link to that Google Sheets in your Gmail email, it actually looks like there's an attachment on the email. Right. So, you know, in Gmail, you'll scroll down to the bottom and there'll be the box oh. with all the attachments. Well, if you ever if you've ever noticed, if you ever put a link to a YouTube video or a Google sheet or a Google Doc in, in one of your emails, it actually shows up in that little attachment section at the bottom of an email. So, you know, yes, we have this little text that says, do you know, anybody on our dream 100 list? That's not the part that stands out, though. The part that stands out is they see that little uh, paper clip in the corner of the email. And then when they scroll down, they actually see what looks like a document that they can open. But when they open that document, it opens the Google Sheets with our Dream 100. Oh, my gosh. Th this. Oh, man, I put my phone on. Airplane, <laughs> I still got a phone call. Jeez. How'd that come through? Oh, I'm on airplane mode, but my Wi-Fi is on. Oh, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yeah. Um. This is so, this is such a useful conversation for me to have right now too, because uh, just last week, have you heard of investment fund secrets? I don't think I have. It, no. Okay. So it's a, it's a newer company, uh, but it's been taking off like the founder of it, Bridger Pennington. He was just on stage with Mike Dillard, like a few weeks back. Um, and they teach people how to start, grow and scale funds, like investment mm. funds. Okay. Um, well, just last week I launched a course with them because I have a fund, but I invest specifically in Uganda. Um, Interesting. I, so my, we like raise money in the U S I send it to a business partner who literally the guy who just called me was my business partner in Uganda. Uh -huh. Um, and then he invested into, uh, small and medium enterprises and micro loans. So like really small businesses, uh, some of our loans are like tiny, like a mm -hmm. uh, hundred bucks to a person who makes like $3 a day. And on average, we've been able to help triple the revenue of these like micro micro entrepreneurs, right? Very cool. So it's like, it's a fund, but it also has like a very philanthropic cause, you know, a very social cause. Yeah. Is that, is that um, like, was that prosper.com, I think? 
there's another site out there that was like, it was a site that was designed to do that kind of stuff for people where you can make micro loans to sort of up and coming countries. Kiva is the most popular oh, one. Kiva. I think that's what I'm thinking of is Kiva. Yeah. yeah. So we do the same thing as Kiva, but we also invest in small and medium enterprises, which is like a higher step up. It's uh, micro is like solopreneurs, small mm. and medium enterprises are like uh, companies that make jobs, mm. right? So people who, um, maybe they've been a, a solopreneur at the market and now they're like expanding locations and they're creating jobs in the economy. So we invest in, into those types of things as well. That's very cool. Um, so I partnered with Bridger last week. We just wanted to do a test like, hey, would your audience be interested in learning how to find deals internationally through micro, small, and medium enterprise partnerships? So like finding a man on the ground in some other countries. And it blew up. Like now, now I'm on like on the mission to make this online course because we closed something like 28% of the people who had attended the webinar, uh-huh. uh, which is, which is insane. Obviously it was hot traffic. So like, but it was the first time I ever presented the webinar too. Um, yeah, that's really cool. So now I'm networking with people who are like way like fun, fun managers who are like multi like centimillionaires and billionaires who yeah. run funds trying to like network with them to bring them in as a mentor into the online course uh, so cool it's <laughs> a good place to be <laughs> it's a good group a good circle to run in it is a good circle to run in i i um i have been running in like the marketing circle for a while because my background is in copywriting mm-hmm. um but like now I have imposter syndrome to like another degree because it's like every time <laughs> I meet with one of these people, it's like my fund, my fund does like several hundred thousand, but, uh, cause I mean, we just started like two years ago and last year during the pandemic, we couldn't grow at all. Like just our business because mm-hmm. of the lockdown and everything we couldn't grow. Yeah. Um, but I mean, these guys are all like, yeah, we manage, you know, $5 billion or $10 billion. And I'm like, Oh, yeah that's i mean it it, that's cool uh, a cool place to be and i i can see the the imposter syndrome popping up i mean imposter syndrome and is a a big topic that we talk about on our show all the time because it's it's um it's pretty amazing to hear who struggles with it that you maybe not like realize who struggles with it right like some of the some of the biggest names you've ever i think almost like the bigger the name you are the more the imposter syndrome exists unless you're just like a complete arrogant ego you know but mm-hmm. for the most part like the bigger the bigger you get and the more well known your name is it feels like the imposter syndrome a lot of times just grows with it um it, i think it's different you know when you're someone like like what we do with the podcast um because we're it, it, like we don't have this philosophy of like we're trying to do the same things as you we're just coming in with this philosophy of like oh my gosh you're doing really really big things and we're just really curious where i think if if you're trying to act like you're on the same level with them that's when the imposter syndrome sinks in when you're sitting there talking to them about um like if you come from the perspective of like i have no clue like your world but uh i am curious as hell then i I feel like the the imposter syndrome thing doesn't really happen as much i don't know just my own personal perspectives on it (laughs) yeah and i think there's probably been like two tips that i've i've gotten actually from russell brunson's books one of them is like the personalities of the expert right you can be a reporter rather than Mm -hmm. the leader like if you try to be the leader and you're still like in your reporter phase and you're gonna probably feel that yep um and then, 
oh shoot i just blanked <laughs> just drew a blank whatever yeah uh, i mean at the, uh, so my, in our business there's really only three things that i really focus on these days and i call them the, the three c's and this is just something that i just came up with recently so it's you know hasn't been stress tested too much but really what i focus on in our business is uh consumption uh curation and um uh compression right so i do a lot of learning if if i can spend my whole life just reading books listening to podcasts watching youtube videos uh reading blog posts and just kind of like learning as much as i can that'd be a happy life for me i'm just like i just love to consume knowledge and learn more about everything not just marketing like everything um so i spend a lot of time consuming and then curating, right? The, the the podcast is us curating other experts. For the most part, we're not putting ourselves on the platform as the expert. We're saying, you know, Clark is the expert and listen to what he has to say. And then we'll sort of help throughout the course of the interview, sort of flesh out what you have to say and turn it into mm -hmm. actionable items for people. And then compression is like what I said earlier, we take these long forms of content and figure out ways to say, okay, we had this two hour interview, but here's the important bits that you need to know right? And bringing it down into like little snippets and sound bites. And then we have a, a newsletter that we sell as well, which is curated from our podcast. So uh, we do have a, a monthly print newsletter that physically mails to people. And that print newsletter is us taking notes on all the podcast episodes, and then sharing the notes with with the subscribers. So that's the sort of the, the, the most compressed form of our podcast is you can listen to an entire month of uh, of podcast interviews, essentially by reading this set of notes that we send you in the mail each month. And so how much of your time are you spending doing that versus like running Evergreen Profits? I mean, it, it's kind of gotten to the point now where that is my role in Evergreen Profits, right? It, is focusing in those three areas. I'm spending a lot of time learning and, and diving deep into like trying to figure out who to bring on as guests. So I'm reading their blogs and podcasts and you know, we don't really bring on guests to our show who just kind of reach out cold or anything like that. Almost everybody we bring on is either somebody in our network already or someone where we did a lot of research on and went, we need this guest to talk about this topic. And then we seek them out. So I spend a lot of time like educating myself and like consuming content. Um, and then, you know, as far as like the curating and compressing, that's really what I'm doing with the rest of my time. We're, we're making podcast episodes, we're writing blog posts, we're making tweets on social media and Facebook and, and places like that. So I'm spending a lot of time compressing this information that I'm getting to. And that's kind of the world I live in now. We have, um, we, our team now, I think there's like maybe five people. So we've got one person who edits our podcasts and uh, does, runs our YouTube channel. We've got another person who uh, takes the notes on the episodes. So she listens to the episodes and writes the notes that goes into our newsletter, that writes the, the show notes that go on our blog post. We have an ads guy now who, who runs Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Google ads for us. So he's focused on the growth of the podcast and growth of the email list. And then we have another person who uh, runs our email systems now. So there, so he's helping build out these, what I, you know, when we first started talking, I was saying I was building out these email sequences. We have a team of people who's actually helping us with that. Now we sort of wrote the rough drafts and then they're the ones who are going in, plugging it into our autoresponder system and beefing up the copy a little bit because they're better copywriters now than we are. And, um, 
So we have this system where somebody else is driving the traffic in, somebody else is making sure the, the sales are happening through our emails once we've got them in, and then somebody else is doing our notes and somebody else is doing all of our audio and video editing. So Joe and I get to live in the worlds that are our sort of zone of genius, right? For me, it's mm -hmm. consuming content, curating the content and compressing the content. For Joe, it's networking, getting to know new people, having conversations with uh with people that either we're going to partner with, or we're going to advise, or uh, we're going to be affiliates for, or he's talking to potential podcast guests. So he's the one who's typically out there doing all the communications, talking with people. I'm the one who's kind of figuring out the next sort of path we're going to take with the show and our content and things like that. And then mm -hmm. all of the sort of technical stuff on the, the outside of that is kind of handled by other people now. That's pretty sweet. Uh, we kind of skipped over though, like what, can you give us a quick brief like overview of what is Evergreen Profits? Like, what do you do? What yeah, is this? So, so we, there's Hustle and Flowchart, which is the podcast and the podcast feeds everything. Evergreen Profits is the business behind Hustle and Flowchart. So um, our, I'll, I'll sort of break it down by the revenue streams that are generated. So um, Evergreen Profits, our largest revenue stream is through affiliate marketing. So we actually, we, we promote a lot of tools and software. A lot of the guests that come on our show might have software tools. You know, an example, Russell Brunson has ClickFunnels. We are an affiliate of ClickFunnels. Um, you know, uh, you so- you dream car? Uh, no, no. In fact, we're, we're bigger second tier affiliates than we are uh, first tier affiliates. So we have, I think, 300 second tier affiliates under us on ClickFunnels. We only have, I think, like maybe 10 people that have bought ClickFunnels directly through our affiliate link. Right. But we have we have 300 second tier affiliates who are going and promoting ClickFunnels and we get 10% of their sales. So we actually make way more money on our second tier than we do on our first tier. Um, but uh, yeah, so we do a lot of affiliate stuff. That's the number one revenue driver. Um, the number two revenue driver is our membership, which is the Evergreen Profits membership. And that's where people get the print newsletter and mailed to them every month. And then we also ask our guests on our show to contribute bonus content for our members. It's not required to be a guest on the show. It's just kind of like, hey, if you want to get more exposure in front of our paying customers, you can make a video and we'll put it in our members area. So a lot of our guests, um, you know, we had these guys, uh, Robin Kennedy on who talked about email marketing strategies on our podcast. After the podcast, they came to us and went, hey, we made um, three training videos on like email tactics, how to write your welcome sequence how to uh, do the psychology and the copywriting of the email, and then how to save subscribers that have become inactive. And they gave us those three training videos and we put those in our members area. So now when that episode comes out, there's a call to action to become a member and you're gonna get even bonus content from uh, from Robin Kennedy in the members area. So that's what the, the membership site is. It's the, um, the the newsletter and then all this bonus, these bonus videos that uh, our podcast guests submit. So that's the, the, the sort of second uh, revenue stream. And then our third revenue stream is through uh, partnering and advising. So we actually have equity in uh, multiple different companies that we advise for. Um, one of them is a membership software. One of them is a tool that uh, connects affiliates with SaaS founders. And then um, another one is an info product with Jay Abraham. And so we're doing a lot of, uh, a lot of these sort of joint venture partnership rev share equity kind of deals where we're we're kind of just there for advice but we get a percentage in exchange for the advice that we're giving and then we also get to sort of evangelize them so we'll talk about those offers on our podcast and things like that and you know drive some awareness to them but mm -hmm. for the most part we're there to to give advice um and so that's pretty much the whole business model affiliate marketing our membership slash newsletter and then 
the, the rev share deals that we have going on behind the scenes with some of these other companies. That's such a fun business. You've probably got like a million people's dream business. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was our dream business 12 years ago. And I, it, it's funny, Joe and I talk about this all the time because I don't think a lot of people would believe us if when we tell them that about 12 years ago, we were living in uh, Marietta, California. It's like an hour and a half north of, of San Diego. And we had an office there. And one day on our whiteboard, we mapped out this grand vision of we need to get to the point where all we're doing is creating content and we have equity in other people's businesses in exchange for consulting. And we mapped out this whole plan and this whole roadmap of how we'd get there. And for, you know, eight years, we kind of like kept zigzagging off the path. So we never really got that much closer. And then in 2017, we went, remember that thing that we mapped out? Let's actually like finally go for it. And so in 2017, when we started the Hustle and Flowchart podcast, that was sort of our step one into finally going for the thing that we mapped out back in 2009. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's really... Uh, how that came to be, but it's, it, it, it was our dream business back then. And then we just sort of had to figure out over the years how to engineer it. And we mm -hmm. finally have gotten close. There's actually some elements that we are eventually want to phase out too. We want to, our actual membership where, where we have like the, this bonus content from our guests and this newsletter that goes out. Eventually we'd actually like to make all of that content free as well. And just have that be freely available and just out into the world. And then all the revenues driven through affiliate marketing and through the, these rev share deals that we're doing with these businesses. So we're not on the hook for any sort of like customer support or any of uh, the ongoing maintenance of running a thing. We get to just be content creators and advisors. And once we get to that place, that's our real dream spot. Yeah. And you're there. We're close, close. The membership, we're not comfortable phasing that out yet. We still want the income oh, from okay. it, but eventually we're going to phase that off and turn that income off once these other, you know, pillars of our business rise to a level where we feel comfortable turning that off. That is awesome hearing someone say like, yeah, I mapped this out 12 years ago. It actually became true yeah. because it's, it's like inspiring hearing someone like set a goal that they pursued for like what eight years without actually you know with this journey the sea, i call it the sea of failures yeah it's like you've got this giant like every and it's every entrepreneur too i've never met any entrepreneur which is like oh yeah i started and like yep okay. yeah i mean thinking, thinking back to it so we, we met that out around 2009 i believe and um between 2009 and 2017 we ran two different agencies one was a funnel building agency one was a content marketing agency uh, we've put out maybe 10 different online courses around things like traffic and podcasting and affiliate marketing. Um, we've uh, tried to run multiple software businesses that never really got off the ground. We've, um, we've got into the startup world for a little bit and was working with, with like some startup companies. We, uh, we, we've started and stopped multiple blogs, multiple podcasts, multiple YouTube channels. Um, we tried to, basically the point is we've tried every single business model before finally going, maybe if we just like stuck on one path, eventually it'll pan out. <laughs> I, I, I had a similar journey. Um, and it's like finally tying together now because, um, uh, my goal, you know, how, you know, how, um, information product businesses are like really good front end businesses. It's like mm -hmm. the best way to like pull customers into your world. Well, I had this vision of like, when I start my fund in Africa, like we're gonna, we're gonna 
we can do a front end information product thing. But I started that two years ago. And although it hasn't been like 12 years, I finally am like creating the product where it's like, Hey, this is what's going to be, this is what's going to pull people in. Yeah. It's going to be a course on like how to do it. And then a lot of people are going to be realizing like, maybe I don't want to start a fund. Uh, maybe I just want to invest in this guy's fund. Who's already like doing it and already like, you know, I can just be a part of his success. Right. Absolutely. So like those pieces have just started to fall into place. I literally a week from yesterday, <laughs> uh, I've been working on building this course since April, like trying to find the mentors and stuff like that and building mm-hmm. like the outline just enough to have like a minimum viable course product. Um, but it like, it, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's really inspiring. So many people go, go through that path and for like two years feeling lost is not fun. 12 yeah. years or eight years of feeling like, oh man, why don't we stick to one thing? Like it can't yeah. be fun. Oh man. I mean, yeah, you, you, I'm, I'm sure you can relate, you know, so I've, 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 we've been doing this stuff since, you know, I've been doing online marketing related stuff since Oh five. Right. Uh, eight, uh, freelance type stuff for a couple of years and then got into blogging and then, uh, and then so on. But doing this stuff since 2005 and getting on Facebook or getting on Instagram and seeing the guy who started two years ago talking about his first hundred thousand dollar month, you know, that kind of stuff just got like so frustrating seeing that over and over and over again. And it, it was only when I got to the point where I started going, okay, don't look at like what the other people are doing. Look at where you were last year. Look at where you were the year yeah. before. Where you have you progressed since then? And mm-hmm. once you kind of get to the point where the only person you're trying to compete with your with you is you, mm-hmm. you, you you start to make significant progress. I mean, for the most part, I'm I'm sort of a social media hater. Like I don't really get on Facebook except for what I have to. We have a Facebook group that we run for our community. So I get in, go to our Facebook community you know, interact there every day for a little bit and then get the hell out of there. I don't like social media. I don't like the comparison game. I don't want to know what other entrepreneurs are, 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 are seeing that have started way after me. Like, I'll just let that stuff get into my head. And then those, the wheels start spinning about like, how did this person do in two years, what it took me to do 10 years. And I, I just get frustrated. So like, I just completely check out of social media. Now I, I, I don't really pay attention to what other entrepreneurs are doing. I don't really, all I look at now is my own success metrics over my previous success metrics. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And I think once you get to that point, then, you know, it, it makes you a lot happier in business. I'll put it that way. <laughs> and part of it's not even like a fair comparison. Cause think about how much like information there is now. Like there are so many people who, who figured out what not to do because they did a million things wrong. They finally figured out what not to do. And they finally figured out what to do. And then they put it into a book and it's just like, here's what you got to do. It's yeah, like yeah. someone who starts at that point there, that didn't exist in 2005 In 2005. It like, the the state of you know wordpress i mean it was still coming out right so yeah. um yeah that was the early days of wordpress um podcasting didn't have a platform if you had a podcast it meant you took an audio file found some random code online and embedded the audio file on your website and that's how people listen to podcasts right so um yeah i mean if i th- there is something to be said for the fact that you know there is uh, people were able to learn from the mistakes of the people that came before them. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes being, you know, in that position of the person who made all the mistakes can be frustrating when you're comparing yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah. I, so I remember um, when I was like just about to graduate college, I had started this business in college. I, I 
busted my butt to start a travel agency because I wanted to like learn how to travel hack, you know? Mm -hmm. And so my freshman year of college all fails, like everything failed. I tried to do like, and it was a camp, it was camping trips. That was like my niche. Um, so like I tried to do like a spring break trip to go camping in Utah uh -huh. and I, I rented out like a coach bus and I needed to, I needed like 30 people to sign up to break even. And my goal was to get 50 people. And I got three. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, um, Sophomore year though, I like the summer between freshman and sophomore year, I just tried learning as much as I could and sophomore year I relaunched and we started to get traction by junior year. I was like traveling internationally. Like my company had expanded so much. We had gotten so much traction that I was like going to Patagonia and Peru and hiking Machu Picchu. And, uh, we like, so every spring, winter and summer break, starting from sophomore year on. I got to like travel somewhere really awesome. And so you can imagine like this became my baby. I yeah, got yeah. super tied to it. And then there became a point where um, I realized that like, you know how every business has this valley of death where it's like <laughs> to get from 1 million to 2 million, like, or forget to get from 1 million to 10 million, there are major obstacles that you have to overcome. And if you don't overcome those, then your business dies. Mm -hmm. And so I was facing a valley of death and sucking at it um like my like my senior year so basically like four or five years after i had started the business and um and so i was facing this valley of death where i had to like scale operations so i wasn't going on all of the trips i needed like other experts like real experts that like do this every day to be guiding these camping trips in in you know argentina like i can't be going on all of them um and at around that point, my business was like very fledgling and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to survive. And so I had to think for a second, where was I five years ago? And so I, I call this the five-year test now because five years is like just the perfect amount of time where it's like, so it seems very far in the past, like so much changes in five years. And I was like, five years ago, I was a senior in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was throwing like parties in my parents basement <laughs> uh -huh. working at applebee's as a host <laughs> yep. i was making 725 an hour uh, i wasn't even in college now i've got a college degree and i've traveled the world and i've you know so it like i'm, I'm gonna ask you this what's your yep. five-year test like where were you five years ago compared to where you are right now that's a good question. Uh, I have to think about it because I mean, the last like 12 years sort of all blur together a little bit. Um, but yeah, five years ago, I actually wasn't living in San Diego yet. I was living up in Marietta, which is an hour and a half north of San Diego. Um, basically, it's, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like between San Diego and LA, but the housing prices up there are like half the price of San Diego, right? So we moved up there to get a bigger house for our money. Uh, we lived, so I, I was living up there, but it's also about 10 degrees hotter at any given time. So in the summer, it got to be like 110 in the middle of the day up there, which was brutal. Um, so I was living up there. Um, what we were doing, I think we were running an agency at the time, actually, Joe and I had our, our content marketing agency where we were actually writing blog posts for other companies and then uh, um, basically trying to optimize them for SEO for them. 
and uh, we were pulling our hairs out because we hated agency work. We just, we hated, we, we went from like, you know, day jobs where we had one boss to running an agency where we had 15 bosses, right? That's how I look at agencies. Yeah. Um, so we absolutely hated running the agency. We had some really good clients, but then we also had clients where every time like we saw our phone ring, we'd be looking at it going, do we have to answer this? Like we, you know, we didn't want to, we, we had some where we dreaded every time we got a call from them. Um, so as far as what we were making back then, I, I don't even remember, but it was probably 25% of what we're making now. I, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember the sales numbers from 2015, but I do know, uh, we're making a lot more now. We were, uh, we were running an agency. We didn't have a, I, I had a, a pod, podcast by myself, but Joe didn't have a podcast at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a different time, different, different, both Joe and I lived up in Marietta and we both moved up there around the same time and both moved back around the same time. We kind of follow each other around a little bit. Um, but, uh, isn't yeah. the drastic change just crazy though? Like, well, it, it's were, crazy just thinking we were running an agency then. And now all I really focus on is interviewing people. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just like the, 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 the my day, what my day to day looks like is insanely different. I don't have an office anymore. We used to go into an office back then too. Haven't had an office since 20, 2017. Yeah, I think 2017 is when we got rid Maybe 2016 was when we got rid of our office. So you like went from a job you hated to like dream job. And you can now see the light of like, hey, my 12 year plan is almost like achieved. When five years ago, you probably were like, oh, this is not at all what I envisioned my life to be like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, five years ago, we were, we were losing sleep because of clients, right? We were losing sleep because we had a deadline on a project and only two days to finish it, but felt like we had seven days of work to do still, you know, like just the, the, the stress back then was so much higher. And I, I, I feel pretty stress-free these days. Um, but the agency was like a stress machine. Like now we have a system to, to just do what we we kind of want to be doing, which is interviewing, connecting, learning, that kind of stuff. Back then we basically had a system that was like a misery system. It was a system that systematically made us miserable. <laughs> uh, no offense to the agency owners out there. I'm sure some people have it really dialed in. We never figured yeah. out how to dial in the agency. Like we weren't very good at getting the right team members on board to help us run our agency. So it turned into me and Joe being the ones doing all the work where a good agency would be, you know, we're going out and getting the clients, but then it goes to a project manager and the project manager deals with everything from that point on. We had, we went through multiple project managers, never really got the sort of flow, right. Never really made it any easier on ourselves and ended up just loading our plates too much. And so, I mean, it's not that the agency model sucks. It's just, we never got good at the agency model. Yeah. And I, I just talked to a guy on the podcast like two days ago, who's got an agency, runs out of Mexico. Um, and Is it Chris Martinez. No. Oh, okay. No, I, know, I know a guy who runs an agency in Mexico. <laughs> um, and he seems to be like living the life. Like he's got his systems down. He's not doing any of the work himself. Like he's got his team and it's super profitable because he's got clients in the U S paying like U S prices. And then he yeah. got a team in Mexico. So he's got, Mexican costs, right? Yeah, yeah. So some people have got to figure it out. Yep. Absolutely. Took him, I think he's like eight years into it or something like that. So like that's I, I'm seeing him after, you know, the the shit show that everyone starts with at the beginning. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, I, I can, I can see how like some people probably like the agency model. Um, okay. So there's one thing I, I know that we're like close to close to ending here, but we had talked really briefly at, before we had started the show about, uh, an email strategy. Can we, can we come back to that? And absolutely. Uh, you said George Bryant, yes, uh, is the guy who, who's like email philosophy you're now following. Mm -hmm. Um, why don't we start by just telling like our audience, like what you told me at first, and then we can expand from there. Yeah. So we've been working with, with George. Um, he's, he, he works with some like really, really big companies. He he's, uh, he's actually, um, partnered with Mike Dillard, um, who, who you mentioned a, a few times. He's, uh, he works with, um, on it, you know, Aubrey Marcus and on it and, and, and some really, really big companies to help them like really dial in the, the relationships that they have with their leads and their customers. And the advice that he gave us around our email system is when it comes to, uh, to, to your, your opt-in, what most people will do is they'll put out a lead magnet, right? They'll say like, here's my, here's my podcasting cheat sheet, go opt in for the podcasting cheat sheet. When somebody opts in, you send them an email, Hey, here's the podcasting cheat sheet. That's the first email they get. And then the next day, the first email, the, the next email they get might be like, Hey, here's a link to our latest podcast episode, completely unrelated to the thing they opted in for, or, Hey, here's a, here's a tool that you should go buy. We think you're really going to like probably completely unrelated to the thing they just opted in for, mm -hmm. right? What the advice he gave us was, is create an opt-in. And then the thing that they're opting in for your email sequence should be very, very, very tied to that thing. Mm -hmm. right? So if they opt in for this podcasting cheat sheet, email number one should say, here's your podcasting cheat sheet. Um, you know, go download it, go read it now. And tomorrow we're going to take this thing a little bit further. And then day two, remember that podcasting cheat sheet? I want you to pull it out right now. I want you to open to page three. We're going to actually work through this process from page three. And then the email will be content that essentially complements the thing that they opted in for. Day three, same thing. All right, today we're going to work through page seven of that cheat that, you know, that, that thing mm -hmm. that you just opted in for. And so each day in your email se sequence complements the opt-in as opposed to just being another, you know, sort of random email to the mm -hmm. list. And the idea behind it is they opted in, you stuck with them until they got results from that opt-in. And once they got results from that opt-in, they now associate you with, as somebody who, mm -hmm you know, works with them until they actually get the results that you promised them. And once you've sort of built that trust with that lead, now you can start talking about other offers and, and making other asks because you've built that trust that look, when you opt in, I'm going to stick with you until you get results from this thing. It's a consumption series, right? It's just like, I'm going to help you consume the, uh, the opt-in. Yeah, opt -in. absolutely. I mean, so, it, so many people just focus on here's your opt-in thanks. You got it now. Now you're just moving on to the rest email, of my email. The next. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I got your email now by my thing. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think, um, so if, if you were to, you know, implement this opt-in or this, like, I'm going to call it a consumption series, right? It's like you mm -hmm. help them consume it. Um, do you, can you also like implement, are you familiar with Russell Brunson's like five email sequence the like onboarding sequence where he kind of tells his epiphany bridge story and it's like you his philosophy is like people don't really care about what you know until they know like how much you care and like mm -hmm. your story and they like you got to build a, that relationship with them mm -hmm. um is there a way that you can kind of merge those things like how can you build a relationship and help them consume it i feel like you could probably 
send an email sequence where it's like multiple epiphany bridges leading to them why they need to consume page three. Here's mm-hmm. an epiphany of why you need to consume page 10. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've read Russell's books, but it's been a while. So I'm not like ultra familiar with the sequence. You know, it's not like fresh on my mind, but um, I, you know, definitely throughout this sequence, you definitely focus on building the relationship while also giving them value. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I would argue that, you know, you are building the relationship by giving them the value, right? By, by sort of saying, here's the opt-in, but don't worry, I'm going to hold your hand and walk you through this, right? Like that, I, I yeah. feel like, that is is going to have an impact on the relationship um just as as much as anything else will um you know i i I sort of believe that people don't really care about you like i don't think people are opting into the list to hear from matt wolf or from joe fear i think people are opting into the list because they want whatever solution we're providing with that opt-in. And I think the best thing you can be doing over the first several emails is making sure they're getting the results from your solution. And that in itself, I believe, is something that will really, really build a good bond between you and that reader. I see those expert secret books behind you or the, <laughs> the, the secret trilogy. Are those books that, uh, that Russell Brunson like sent you as uh as one of his dream 100 they are yeah actually i think he sent them like he was coming on our podcast and i think like a week before he came on they those arrived in the mail <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah if you haven't read the new ones they're different i mean i when when i first heard like oh he's gonna have a version two of them i was mm-hmm. like oh really how different is it gonna be Oh yeah, I haven't re- reread the old ones yet. I did read Traffic Secrets, but I didn't reread the Expert Secrets and uh, what's the other one? Expert Secrets and something. Dot com secrets. <laughs> dot com secrets. Yeah. Yeah. Dot com secrets is an entirely new book. Like entirely. Like there's you'll still see some stuff like the value ladder, um, but the way that he first of all he put way more in there. There's like a whole bunch of new types of funnels that he had discovered from when he originally wrote it. Mm-hmm. And then expert secrets, I would say is like 50% um, new, but like dot-com secrets, it felt to me like I, it was a brand new book. Yeah. So. As far as like, when it comes to the, the, the digital marketing space specifically, I don't think there's any more actionable book than the ones that Russell puts out. Like, you know, most people will put out marketing books and there'll be sort of 30,000 foot view conceptual level. Like Russell's books are some of the most tactical books you can get. Like you oh, can yeah. read a chapter and go, oh, I actually have a plan to implement this now. So yeah. definitely give him props there. All right. Uh, before we go, what is one final thing that you could, one, one final piece of advice that you could tell, you know, an entrepreneur who's about to launch or an early stage and perhaps is going through their sea of failures right now, <laughs> uh, like we talked about. Is there a final piece of advice that you would give them? Um, you know, everything that I feel that pops to mind is super, super cliche, but, <laughs> um, you know, like, uh, I, I think the, the, the biggest lesson that I've had over the last 10 years is that if you're not focused on enjoying the journey, you're never going to uh, enjoy the outcome. Right. So I, I think for us, the biggest shift mentally in our business is what I'm doing today needs to be fun and enjoyable don't sort of delay the gratitude until you reach some future point in time. Right. I'm not huge on like the, I'm not huge on like goal setting and saying, Oh, we need to hit this milestone. I'm bigger on 
you know, what, what actions can I take today that I'm going to a enjoy what I'm doing it as a business, but B move the, move the needle on the business. And -hmm. I think almost kind of looking at everything on like this sort of narrow, like, I I don't know if this is the best advice for everybody, but I look at everything on sort of like a narrow day-to-day basis, kind of like the power of now kind of concept. And I'm, I'm like thinking all the time, what can I do today that I'm going to enjoy and is also going to move the needle forward on the business. And I, I think that's probably the most important lesson that probably most people hear and go, yeah, whatever. I've heard that before. That's all, you know, mindset junk. But for me, focusing on enjoying the journey and enjoying every single day has made the business so much more fulfilling. Like take the, you know, consider today a win if you enjoyed what you did and you move the needle a little bit on your business, today was a win, right? I'm never really looking in the future going, I'm going to wait to do X until this happens. I'm going to wait to be happy. I'll consider myself successful when this happens because that goalpost just constantly moves. That goalpost is never going to be in the same place. Once you get close to the goalpost, even before you reach that goalpost, you're going to move that goalpost, right? Like if if you're trying to have your first $100,000 month and you get to a $90,000 month, Next month, you're going to tell yourself, I want $150,000 a month because I almost hit it this month, right? You're just going to keep moving that goalpost. So until you can figure out how to feel successful, no matter where you are in the current moment, that is probably the biggest lesson that I can give from like my 12-year journey so far. I think that's incredible advice um, because like I, I can think of the times when I've been the most successful in my life is because I've felt complete alignment with like what I'm doing and what I enjoy. Mm. Like the, the work no longer becomes work, but people from the outside are like, gosh, you work so hard. And I'm just like, no, I don't yeah. <laughs> like my travel young, my first business. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm planning trips all over the world, places I'm going to travel to like that. Who calls that work, you know, yeah. and then telling people about awesome adventures that we're going to go on. That's not work. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll add one more, one more sort of almost like tactical element to that piece of advice. So one of the best pieces of advice we got recently was from a, another mentor of ours, a guy named Mark Zacosta Rubio, really, really smart guy. He told us what we need to start doing on a daily basis is, you know, everybody kind of talks about time blocking as a real good productivity strategy. His advice was think of the things that you love to do and that you really want to do on a daily basis, time block that stuff, and then figure out how your work fits around that stuff. Most people, what they'll do is they'll time block out, okay, I've got this call at this time. I've got this meeting at this time. From this hour to this hour, I'm going to write this blog post. They time block all the stuff that they have to do for work, but they don't time block the stuff they want to do. So, you know, if you love surfing or you love, you know, playing guitar or you, you know, there's, there's these things that you really love doing, time block those onto your day and then figure out how to work the business stuff around the stuff you want to do versus time block your business and then try to figure out where you can squeeze the fun stuff in because you'll never find the places to squeeze the fun stuff in. That's so relevant. I was actually just thinking about that yesterday because yesterday I I worked like all day until five o'clock and then it, I'm in Minnesota, right? So mm-hmm. daylight savings time just happened. Right. I step outside at five o'clock and it's cold and dark. And I'm like, the, I'm looking out my window right now and it's it's beautiful right now outside and I want to like be outside and I was like I need to find a way to actually I I started before the sun came up and then I stopped working after the sun went down I was like that I cannot do that I that cannot be my life I need to time block time in the middle of the day to go take a walk or something like that 
Yep. Yep. No, yeah. I, I think, I think there's some value to having, you know, what, what Joe and I call sprint days where it's a sort of all out hard work kind of day. We do that three days a week on our, or three days a month on our podcast days. Um, but we've done that in the past when we're getting products ready for launch and things like that. I think there is a time and place to have these sprint days where, you know, okay, today's kind of going to be a rough day, but because of this one rough day, the rest of my week, the rest of my month is going to be so much easier. So I think there is a place for those sprint days, but I think you need to be putting the, you know, you need to be putting things that you're looking forward to on your calendar and working business around them. Like make those things non-negotiable. Yeah, I agree. Oh my gosh, Matt, we've had a lot of fun on the show today. Uh, I had a bunch of questions that I was like, hey, here's like how we could guide it. And we're like completely <laughs> off script, nothing. Hey, if you want to do it like, again, I'm, I love this kind of stuff. So happy to do it again. Or, uh, you know, you can send me an email with the rest of your questions and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll write out <laughs> responses. <laughs> uh, where can people follow you? Where can people, you know, hear more about what you're doing or, you know, follow the podcast? Yeah. So the, pretty much everything's over at evergreenprofits.com. Um, I, I typically make a, a, a special link for people to go to, but I, um, I don't have one. Maybe I can make one up right now. If, uh, if this episode's not going to be live for <laughs> a few days, I can uh, make a special link, but um, we, we do have a, um, an affiliate marketing playbook that I can, I can give to your audience if, if they're interested in it. So if they were to go to, um, Let's see, if they were to go to flowchart.com slash AOE, right? That's the acronym for the show. Uh, so if they were to go to hustlingflowchart.com slash AOE, I'll, I'll give them a free copy of our, our affiliate marketing book that breaks down all the various affiliate strategies that we use in our business. Um, and uh, if you go there and, and opt in, you'll, you'll pretty much find all the rest of our stuff, right? We're, we'll be talking about our podcast in that email list and we talk about uh, you know, the, the membership that we've got available. So you'll find out about any of our other stuff from uh, going to that one place. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This one was really fun. In fact, I, I just looked at my clock and went, dang, that went by really fast. <laughs> <laughs> really fast. <laughs>